0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Sunday mornings and for songs that bring our attention toward you and truth and worship. God, thank you that other people show up here, that we are doing this together. And now, Father, you've brought us to the, the main course the Word. Father, we pray today that your word would be alive, that our souls would be hungry and thirsty, that we would eat and drink, that we would hear the truth and believe the truth as it is the word of God. We ask, Lord, that you would give us hearts and minds to hear it, to receive it. Father, I pray that you would not leave us as we are, but we would be convicted of our sins, but we would be loved and built up and accepted and forgiven of our sins and children of God, by faith in Jesus. Lord, we ask for you to do that work now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there. It would be page 936. Mark chapter 14, page 936. While you're turning there, I want to say I just loved last Sunday, it was our homecoming Sunday as we celebrated um, 101 years as a church. Uh, It was a great Sunday. We had a good time, big lunch, plenty of food, lots of people. I was really happy for us to welcome in guest preacher, Pastor Philip Corbin and his wife and children. And really was a good day all the way around. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for contributing. It was a special day. And now we're back to um, uh, the Gospel of Mark where we have been now for quite some time and we're moving right along. And today we are Uh, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper up until this point. They did not have the Lord's Supper. We didn't have that type of thing going on. They had a Passover meal that Jewish people did in remembrance of the Passover that they celebrated. But now Jesus is about to mix it all up and change things uh, forever and institute the Lord's Supper, which is a celebrating of the new covenant. And hopefully over the next half hour or so, I will explain that to you all really well. I've already had many people ask me, Why are we taking the Lord's Supper today? Because our church takes the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. But I just felt like it would be a little bit odd for a Christian church to preach on the Lord's Supper and not take the Lord's Supper. Don't you agree? Amen. So today, we are going to take the Lord's Supper as well. And then again, in two weeks, in the first Sunday of November, we will take it again and follow that pattern, right? There is... You cannot take the Lord's Supper too many times, right? You can take it too few of times if you're not doing it regularly. So that's why it's here, and we will do that at the end of the service. But hopefully, you will understand so much more and be so more into the Lord's Supper and taking part in it once we get to that part um, after I've preached through this passage. Just a few verses today, Mark chapter 14, 22 to 25, four verses. As we get started, I want to tell you guys, I'm sure you know, that I, I enjoy eating. I like to eat, I really do. Three of my favorite times of the day are breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, I really do kind of often plan out my day and my life around meals, um, and I thank God for that. My dad is also that way. <laughs> And, um, and I do like to eat, and I especially like good food. With that said, though, I have found that I not only like to eat, but I really like to eat with other people. And I know that, that, that you maybe do this often, and this is something that's maybe normal to you, to eat with other people. But I have really found in some kind of reflection that I really do enjoy. Getting to have dinner with other people. Any setting, anywhere. Here at church, if, 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 if I know that there's a meal and people are hanging out, I, I really enjoy that setting. If, if we get to go out to dinner with other people, that's great. If we get to have other people over, that's, that's a really fun time. I really enjoy a meal with other people. And while it may not be an actual meal, it very well could be. We could do that, but we often don't for simplistic reasons, for time scheduling type reasons. Us taking the Lord's Supper is that idea. It is a family of God taking part in the Lord's Supper, this meal together. Now, I realize that little piece of bread we give you and that that little cup of drink is far from going out to dinner together. I, I get that, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But at the same time, that's what it is. It is all of us being together, having something in common, and joining it together. If you will, I know we don't have a table big enough to to set all of us around it, but if you will, with no exaggeration, this taking the Lord's Supper is the family of God eating together with dear significance. Y'all know the old phrase that says the family that prays together stays together? You know that one? Well, many families have quit praying together altogether, and it's so unfortunate. And I heard a man just a few years ago say the family that eats dinner together stays together. What a big thought. Often, people don't pray in their homes, unfortunately, and that would be the mark of a lack of faith, But if we're honest, we are probably even more likely to pray at bedtime or pray with our child at bedtime or pray with our head on a pillow than we are even to eat together as a family. It is that rare. It is that rare. And today is not at all gonna be a sermon on eating together and being a family and that sort of thing, right? Y'all would hate me talking about that. But it is gonna be a message about the Lord's Supper and the people of God, the family of God eating together. I want you to understand that this is not just a little side issue in churches, but we can make the argument that this is one of the most important things, and many people would say it is the most important thing, taking the Lord's Supper, and yet for so many people, Both baptism and the Lord's Supper are are, are two ordinances given to us by the Lord Jesus that we're supposed to do are still seen as just ritual or tradition or just something we do with no significance to it. We know people that take it without any thought. We know people that want to get baptized just because. And yet we know people and parents and churches and pastors that will do baptisms or serve the Lord's Supper without any explanation at all. And today I want to preach the word of God to you from the mouth of Jesus and have you see just how heavy this is, how serious it is. Commentator James Edwards says, from the earliest times, The Lord's Supper has been regarded by the church as the truest representation of its fellowship with Christ. What is there that is more of a true picture of us being united, connected, in fellowship with the Lord Jesus than when we come together, understanding what the body is, understanding what the blood is, understanding what Christ has done on our behalf, and then participate in something together that says, I believe in him. What a statement the Lord's Supper is. So it is hardly something that we're hoping to just do and say that was sentimental. But rather something that our hearts embrace, that our souls long for, something that we believe in and we participate in and we are aware that there are other people here participating. The Lord's Supper is when God's family comes together to eat because of. Jesus dying for their sins. Read with me at Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. If you were to just take these verses and listen to it, which you're pretty familiar with because every single time we take the Lord's Supper, You hear me say those things. I most of the time read the passage from 1 Corinthians where Paul says, is recalling what Jesus said, but one and the same that that we read from the Gospels or we read from Paul and we hear the talking about the Lord's Supper, so you're familiar with that. If you take that and leave it just by itself and all you read are those verses, then all you understand is that Jesus said to do it and he said it represents him, Right? And perhaps that's the the, the key ingredients, but it's so far from getting it. But thankfully, you and I, and those of you that attend regularly, are not here just taking those verses. We are very familiar with what's happened in the Gospel of Mark. We know how serious Mark is about following Jesus. We know how serious Jesus is about getting to the cross and dying. We are familiar that it was just the previous passage where... Jesus instituted uh, or Jesus was having the Passover with them and he predicted to them that somebody was going to betray him. It was just the passage before that when the lady comes in and and anoints him with a very, very expensive oil. We're familiar with that. We're familiar going back just a few more passages where Jesus is talking about how they're going to kill him. And then we hear the other people saying, we're planning to kill him. We're familiar with this gospel of Mark and all that's going on. We have Jesus who is God and who is our Lord and who's the teacher that nobody's ever seen teach like that and all he does is good to people and yet he keeps talking about how he's going to die, and everybody's like, I- "I'm not sure why you're going to die." And he keeps saying, "I'm going to die. I'm going to be uh, beaten, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be hated and they are going to kill me." Jesus keeps saying that. And yet you have enemies of Jesus, which he shouldn't have had any enemies, except that we're sinful people. You have the enemies of Jesus saying, they want to get rid of Him. We've got to do away with him. He's ruffling our feathers, He's messing up our system. He's going against Judaism. He's doing these things. We've got to get rid of him. We have to kill him. We have all of that in play. And so when you're familiar with all that we've studied in Mark, like most of you are, and you have him holding a meal of significance and bread that he says is my body and holding a drink that is a wine, that is a red wine that, that they will drink, and he says, this is of my blood, he's talking about dying. He's talking about the ending of his life. He's talking about the giving of himself. This has such meaning. Well, take it even further. And I tried to explain the Passover. And if you're here and you know the Old Testament, and you know the history of the people of Israel, and you know how they were slaves in Egypt, and you know how God brought them out and you're familiar with Pharaoh and you're familiar with Moses and you're familiar with the 10 plagues and you're familiar with the, the blood that was put on the on the doorpost. If you're familiar with that and Jesus brings all that together and in the midst of that, he now starts saying me, I, I will be this for you. Man, there's depth here. For when you understand and start to get a working knowledge of the word of God, you see a beautiful, beautiful word from God, a message from God. You see God explaining to us how we can be at peace with him, how we can become friends of God, how we can become children of God, how we can be right with God, and we are seeing this here. It's coming to a climax. We see that in our passage today. The first point that I want you to hear today, number one, The power and opportunity of eating together. The power and opportunity of eating together. I opened up telling y'all that I really like to, but more than me just kind of liking to and whatever that means, Um, You know, maybe that you don't have to do dishes or something like that. I want to take it much further than that, that there is real power in eating together. There is opportunity in eating together and what that conveys and and what it means. I really, really want you to understand that. That. There are many, many major uh, signposts in my past that revolve around a meal. I'll never forget that little small business, privately owned Italian spaghetti shop that I sat at in 2004, right across from Val's parents, when I asked them if I could ask her to be my wife. I could point you right to that little shop right now. I could point to you where I sat with my food that I couldn't eat because I was so nervous. I remember that. It was a huge conversation as I asked Mr. Edgar and Miss Teresa if I could marry their daughter. I remember that, but what I'm also telling you is that we did it over a meal. I said, hey, can we go out to dinner sometime, just me with you two? And you know they had to know what that meant. It's the only time I've ever been out to dinner with just them two. But it was a meal. I can remember a lot of meals like that. I remember one time just a few years ago when I was still part-time here at the church, I was, looking, I was looking for another part-time job and had a really good opportunity and it was a hero of mine, somebody that I really look up to, a man of God, and he was wanting to hire me to do something and I was interested and, and they invited me and Val over to their house for dinner to do like a, an official in-home interview to see if I, could, if I could take this job. This must have been 2006 or 2007. And we went there, and you know, going to dinner at somebody's house can make you nervous. Couple that with a job interview, I'm hoping that he, I can impress him and get the job. I was so nervous, and you know what? This is a man I look up to, a man of God that's much older than me, more advanced than me in life, and you know what? They served us a nice dinner, but it was on paper plates, with paper napkins, paper, uh, plastic silverware, paper cups. And they didn't say, hey, we want to drink. We've got this and this and this. They said, hey, all we got is water. And every one of us drank water. I will never forget that. They didn't at all try to come in pressing with everything that they had. They're a humble people with a humble family, much further along than I am. And yet, he was okay could live and eat like that. I'll never forget that. I learned a big lesson that day over a meal. My point is that there is power and opportunity when you eat together. I want to ask, do you think about that? Are you aware of what happens when you eat together? Do you realize that sometimes when you're in the working world, a lot of times meetings and stuff like that happen over meals because something happens there. There is power. But I want you to see that this is something that we see all the time in the Bible too. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but I'm going to walk you through the Gospel of Mark and just pick up on how meals are important. In the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is calling his disciples. He's looking for Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he finds Levi. And Levi was not a fisherman at all. Levi was a tax collector. And he is one who is known as being wealthy and being crooked. And Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. And you know what it was that they said? Verse 15 of chapter 2. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, the religious people, When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I bet everybody in the room has heard that before and were aware that one of the aspects of Jesus that we are so drawn to is that in his holiness and in his godliness, it didn't affect him or bother him at all to hang out with people who were known as sinners and tax collectors. But what lets us know that Jesus was okay to hang out with sinners is not that he shot ball with them or went to the movies with them, but that he ate with them. You and I have formed a whole category of our understanding of God and and, and, and Jesus based off of who he eats with, right? We have. Church, there's nothing wrong at all with you having a meal with some people that don't know God. I would recommend you learning to have a meal with people who don't know God. I would recommend you learning to cook meals for your neighbors who do not know know God. I would recommend you understand the power and opportunity there is of eating together. If you go forward a little bit, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter seemingly from the dead. And afterward, he says, let's eat together. Let's give her something to eat. Don't miss these little pieces in the story. In Mark chapter six, Jesus feeds the 5,000. One of the biggest miracles that you and I are aware of is Jesus and the disciples and over 5,000 people on the hillside and nothing to eat and one boy with five loaves and two fish. And one of the biggest miracles that we're aware of of Jesus that he fed all of those people and he multiplied the bread and the fish, he multiplied that, it was over a meal And if you remember the details, the people were saying, how are we going to feed them? They're getting hungry. Maybe we'll send them away. And Jesus says, send them away. Why? Just tell them to sit down. I'll go get them something. And they said, where are you going to get it from? It's getting too late. And Jesus says, I got it. Right? It's it's this setting of of a meal that we learn so very much. Keep going in chapter five. The Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're questioning him. They They don't think he takes serious. They the Pharisees are questioning Jesus because they don't think Jesus' followers take serious the laws. And you know what they said? We've been observing the way they eat. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Remember that? And Jesus says, what matters more, dirty heart or dirty hands? You remember that conversation? It's been a while since Mark chapter seven, but it's over a meal. It's over a meal that people start asking questions. Man, we we get to sit down as a family at our house sometimes and have meals, and it's, it's outstanding. We've been able to talk about so many things, and I, I love, and I think our children love being able to sit down together. Now, before y'all think that we do it every single night and we're all so pro at it, I want to remind y'all that it's few and far between that we actually get to too, and usually we're eating McDonald's in the car on the run, and usually we're eating dinner at nine o'clock because we're late and behind and all that sort of stuff, but we do try to have dinner together as a family, and when we do, it's outstanding. We play games, we have conversations, we talk about the school day, we talk about our struggles, we talk about what we're going through. There is such power and opportunity in eating together. If you keep going in Mark chapter eight, a different miracle, he feeds 4,000, not the 5,000, but he feeds the 4,000. You keep going all the way up to chapter 14, where we are today. And in chapter 14, I want to remind you that when the lady at Bethany came and busted and poured out the ointment on Jesus, that was at a meal, so again, it's the setting of a meal where we learn that. We could go on and on. And then at the end, in chapter 16 of Mark, where Jesus has now risen from the grave, the disciples are there having a meal, and Jesus comes, right? Jesus comes to them there. There, is so, there are so many biblical lessons and so many truths that we have learned through a meal. I remember when I was in college, And I had a a mentor, a man that I looked up to, and I asked him, and I asked him if he could teach me some things, and if there was a setting where I could ask him some questions, and he said, absolutely. He said, how about we go get some Mexican food next week? And I love to eat chips and salsa. And so we went and we would sit down. And we got to do that time, uh, from time to time through the semester. And we would sit down over a meal. You know, that lasts about 30, 45 minutes. And then you're back within a lunch hour break. You know what I mean. But I would be able to sit there and talk to him. And I even feel now like so much of the growth and understanding that God did in my life happened around some of those meals. In Mark chapter 14 of our passage today, it says as they were eating. Folks, Jesus is about to institute the Lord's Supper. This, it happened at a meal, the Passover meal, that carries such weight and significance. Meals have great power and great opportunity. And I want you to know as well that this meal has great power This meal happening in this service has great power and great opportunity. I want you to understand that we do not at all take this lightly. Listen to these quotes from J.C. Ryle. The state of mind which we should look for in ourselves before going to the Lord's table is well described in this catechism. We ought to examine ourselves whether we repent truly of our former sins whether we steadfastly hope or purpose to lead a new life, whether we have a lively faith in God's mercy through Christ and a thankful remembrance of his death, and whether we are in charity with all men. Listen to this. If our conscience can answer these questions satisfactorily, we may receive the Lord's Supper without fear. More than this, God does not require of any communicant. Less than this ought never to content us. The Lord's Supper is very serious. We have to be mindful that this is something that believers in Christ, those who hope for the forgiveness of sins and the work of Christ, this is something they take part in. Listen to this. He goes on. It is an awful thing to be unfit for the Lord's Supper. For to be unfit for the Lord's Supper, listen to this, is to be unfit to die. It is a no less awful thing to receive it unworthily, for this is most provoking to God. The only safe course is to be a decided servant of Christ and to live the life of faith in him. When I first started preaching and pastoring and leading the church, I didn't know how to do that. I was nervous with it, and I kind of was just thinking, let's just get through it, let's just get through it, let's just get through it. If I'm totally honest with y'all, every single time we do it, I'm so nervous I'm about to spill all of this grape juice all over the place. But as I started studying and thinking and praying about it, God reminded me, if this means all that I'm saying it means, this may perhaps be the most important sermon or most important message that we're sending. And that's why y'all have seen me since I became the pastor stand up and warn people to not take it wrongly. And this is why you have seen me say, if you're here and you believe, take it. Be strengthened. Commit yourself to Christ. Believe in him. For this represents all that he has done for us. Folks, there is great power and great opportunity in us taking the Lord's Supper Together. But secondly, we need to understand exactly the pieces of the Lord's Supper. Look at Mark 14. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body. He took a cup and then he said, This is my blood poured out for many. There are two components to the Lord's Supper. There is bread here, and there is drink here, and the one represents his body, and the one represents his blood. Now, in our passage here, he just says, this is my, he just says, this is my body, and he says, this is my blood of the covenant. But in the other Gospels, he says, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, which is for you. And in 1 Corinthians, when Paul recounts it, Paul says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That phrase that you're so aware of. On the front of our uh, tablecloth there, it says, do this in remembrance of me. If you lift the table up, I think, if you lift the cloth up, I think engraved in the wood on the table, it says, do this in remembrance of me. This is what it means to be believing in Christ, that we are reminding ourselves of what he's done. I think you know, but... Christians everywhere, and churches everywhere, and denominations everywhere have different different views on this. But church, I want you to understand that we believe wholly, that in and of itself, this is just bread, and this is just drink no real significance, no real meaning or power in it. It doesn't matter if it was to spill. It doesn't matter if we were to throw it away. This is not something, this is not going to change into anything as, as many people often believe. We just do this remembering him. The whole power, our whole hope is in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that hung on the cross and in the blood that was shed on the cross. And because that happened for us and for our sins, and because we believe in that, we are saved and forgiven of our sins. That is what this represents, and we need not get that wrong. I want to remind you that we are saved by faith alone. We are saved only by trusting in Christ. There is not something that you must do. There are no works that you must do in order to have your sins forgiven. Trusting, resting, believing wholly in the work of Christ is how you get your sins forgiven. This simply represents These are the pieces of the Lord's Supper. Notice that in our passage, they're eating a meal, which they do all the time. It's an annual feast and celebration that they do, right? We've talked about that. It's the Passover meal. It's the feast of unleavened bread. That's what's going on. And they have done it many, many times before. This isn't the first time that they've done it. That's why they call it the last time that they're gonna do it, right? They do this often. The Old Testament teaches us about it. We recall the story. When I taught on it just a few weeks ago, I reminded you that the way it works is at the dinner table. They would be doing it. They would have sacrificed the lamb, and, 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 and then they would have brought all the food in. The family's going to eat it. And what happens is the youngest child says, what makes this night different from every other night? What makes this meal different from every other meal? What makes this setting different from every other setting? And I'm telling you, that was more my first point, but you start sitting down and have dinner as a family, people are going to start asking some questions. How are you doing in school? How are your grades? Have you talked to such and such? So what happened, right? Questions will happen. You're not just going to sit there quiet, I hope not. People start asking some questions. And this is what happens around the Passover meal. And somebody would say, what's the significance? And then the father would would speak up and start explaining all that it is. And they would be taught to believe in the God that saves. In our passage today, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, they're eating the Passover meal like they've done many, 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 many times. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus said, Here, guys, take a bite, which is normal. And then he says, this is my body for you. Do it remembering me. Change the game forever. Y'all, Jesus must die for you to be right with God. You must repent and believe that Jesus' death is the only way you can be right with God. Think about having a meal with Jesus, which they had done countless times, and all of a sudden he says, This here bread, this is me. This drink, this is my blood. Is he crazy? When you go to lunch today and you have your fried chicken or your Subway sandwiches or your whatever you're gonna have, try to say something as off the wall as that and see how it goes. Man, there's some good mashed potatoes right here. This reminds me of me. Odd, weird. Super odd, super weird. That's why they hardly got it. But us looking back, understanding the shedding of blood, understanding that Jesus had to die, this is Jesus affirming, I will be the Passover lamb forever. Folks, Jesus is God, and he died for our sins. On the cross, God put our sins on him, and God punished his sins rightly so, and so he punished Jesus for our sins. The blood that he spilled shows that he was dead, that they killed him, that they took his life, And the blood of Jesus lets us know that the Holy Son of God was dealt with for sins, but they weren't his sins, which lets us know that if anybody here would say, oh God, I feel convicted of my sins. Oh God, I've done wrong things. Oh God, I know I'm not right. Oh God, my conscience bothers me. God, I'm convicted and I'm guilty. The Bible lets us know that there is one who was offered up for you. And if you would believe, if you would bow your knee, if you would confess your sins, if you would cry out to God and say, God, forgive me of my sins, then the Bible says because he did that, you would be saved, you would be forgiven, you would be accepted. These are the pieces of the Lord's Supper. And what a joy it is, As often as we come together to do this, And somebody takes part in it. It is to be saying, yes, he is Jesus. Yes, he is God's son. Yes, he did come to die on the cross for me. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am guilty. Yes, I do have problems. Yes, I do have a guilty conscience. Yes, I am convicted of my sins. But when he died on the cross, his blood satisfied the wrath of God. His blood washes away my sins. And I believe that, oh, God, not because I can do anything, not because of my good works, but fully because of Christ, I trust and you and when we take this which we'll take it here in just a few minutes everybody that takes it should be clinging to the power and work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection as the sole reason and the only reason that they are accepted and welcomed and right with God and we take this as regularly as we can so that we remind ourselves it's all about Jesus it's all about Jesus This is so much not ritual or tradition. This is clinging to Christ as the one who died for us. Ryle goes on to say, a clear understanding of this is of great importance. It will place in us the right position of mind, and it will teach us how we ought to feel in drawing near to the Lord's table. It will produce in us true humility of spirit. The bread and wine will remind us of how sinful sin must be when nothing but Christ's death could atone for it. It will produce in us hopefulness about our souls. The bread and wine will remind us that though our sins are great, a great price has been paid for our redemption. Not least, It will produce in us gratitude. The bread and wine will remind us how great is our debt to Christ and how deeply bound we are to glorify him in our lives. May these be the feelings that we experience wherever we receive the Lord's Supper. It is us saying with all awareness, he died for me. This sinner is right with God because of what Jesus did and this is a way Jesus taught us to remind ourselves and remind ourselves and remind ourselves. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of him, that his body was for you, that his blood was for you. These are the pieces of the Lord's Supper. But then lastly, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to take all that I just said and to strengthen you in what is the new covenant. Take all that I just said and to strengthen you in what is the new covenant. If you look back in the Bible at Mark chapter 14, in verse 24 it says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Christ shed his blood for us, and he had already been telling us this in one of the best verses in all the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason Jesus came was to give up his life, but they didn't fully understand that. But now here, in the instituting of the Lord's Supper, as he is now just moments away from being taken and beaten and led to the cross to be crucified, he reminds them, this my body, this my blood, it's going to be poured out, and this will be the new covenant. What do I mean by new covenant? Well, really, in order to get the new covenant, you've got to understand the old covenant. The Old Covenant is the way God related to his people in the, in the Old Testament. The Old Covenant says this, that if you disobey God, God's going to punish you, but if you obey God, then God's going to bless you, right? If you want to be on God's side, then you obey him. And We have a whole history in the Old Testament of that system and that system working and that system ultimately not working. And that's why throughout the whole thing, until we get the clearest picture of the new covenant, we have Jesus and we have the Old Testament giving us pictures of how salvation by faith alone is the answer. Write down these two passages. You may not have to turn there, but write them down. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. Listen to me. Follow along, don't give up yet. Here we go. At Jeremiah 31... Under the old covenant, disobey me, I will punish you. Obey me, and I will bless you. Which, by the way, guys, is not the way that we relate to God. Jeremiah 31, 31, listen to this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. He said the days are coming, and now in Mark chapter 14, he says, this is the new covenant. In Jeremiah, he was pointing to the new covenant. In the instituting of the Lord's Supper, he's saying this is the new covenant. So Jeremiah is going to explain the new covenant. This is so important for you to grasp. Verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that day broke. Listen to this. The old covenant we could break if we disobeyed God, which we saw them doing over and over again. The old covenant we could break if we disobeyed God. But the new covenant, listen to me, the new covenant you can't break. Once you get the new covenant with God, you've got it. Once saved, always saved. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. If you have a new heart, you have a new heart. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, adopted into the family of God, you are going to always be in the family of God. Listen to this new covenant promise. Verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. They shall all know me. Write this down, Ezekiel 36, and just turn a few later. You need to know these passages. If you can't find it right now, I understand, but you can listen to it. You can listen to me now and look it up later. Listen to this in Ezekiel 36. Same idea, new covenant talk, what this means. Verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here is the new covenant. That what God does through the work of Christ is God comes to people and God changes people and God changing people causes them to believe and to respond in faith. And when somebody has faith, it means they have a new heart. It means they have the Holy Spirit in them. It means they have a new love, a love for God. They have a new love, a love to obey. We are not wrapped up in the old covenant anymore in which we're looking at a 10 commandments and trying to say, man, I wish I could obey it. I wish I could obey it. And if I do obey, it maybe God will like me and I can't obey it. Now God doesn't like me. I know he's mad at me, and all that sort of stuff. That is not the way we relate to God. God has now given us a new covenant through Christ that says this, Jesus became your sins. Regardless of how many sins you got, no matter how bad you are, how messed up you are, how guilty you feel, Jesus took your sins on the cross, and God punished him for them, and he died. And three days later, God raised him up. He was victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over the devil. Jesus is king of all the universe. And the Bible says that if you will believe that Christ did that for you, then God will cleanse your conscience. God will cleanse your sins. God will give you a new heart. God will make you a new person. He will fill you with himself. He will cause you to want to obey him. You may still struggle to obey him because we're still in the flesh, but you will want to obey him. You will want to love him. And this is the new covenant that by faith alone God will accept you on what Jesus has done. So when we say things like, man, I don't know if I'm good enough to be a Christian, we're right. And we feel things like, man, I'm just such a bad person, I don't really know if I could ever honor God. You're right. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. And the new covenant is That through faith in God, through the work of Christ, God makes us his. He justifies us, accepts us in. And then because of that work that God is doing in us, he then empowers us to love his law, love obedience, love him, have a desire to do the right thing, never thinking that we're guilty in our sins because we know we're forgiven. That's why Christian people can say, oh God, forgive me of my sins. Oh God, I admit that I don't have all the answers. Oh God, I admit that I'm flawed. And you see this so clearly now, if you'll think about all the people you know that don't go to church, that aren't a part of Christ, because they have to continually try to tell themselves that they're a pretty good person. Christians are not people having to continually assert that we're good people. We don't need to have that conversation, for we trust in Christ, who is the ultimate great person. He is God himself, and it is through him that we are accepted. Commentator Edwards says, the original Last Supper, if you think about it, is attended by traitors and cowards. Therefore, this table is not a table of merit, but a table of grace. Judas is about to betray him. Peter's gonna deny him three times. Thomas is gonna doubt him until he has the absolute proof. They're not taking the Lord's Supper because they're such good people. They're taking the Lord's Supper because Christ is such a great savior. And so it is for the church. So it is for the church that I really only boast. The only thing that we have to be proud of is Jesus. And we boast in him alone. And we cling to him. As Ryle says, let it be a settled principle in our Christianity that no unbeliever ought to go to the Lord's table. And that the sacrament will not do our souls the slightest good if we do not receive it with repentance and faith. The Lord's Supper is not a converting or justifying ordinance. You taking this today does not mean at all that God is going to do something inside of you. And those who come to it unconverted or unjustified will go away no better than they came, but rather worse. It is an ordinance for believers and not for unbelievers, for the living and not for the dead. It is meant to sustain life, not to give or impart life. It is meant to strengthen and increase grace, but it does not give grace. It is meant to help us grow in faith, to help faith grow, but it is not meant to sow or it is not meant to plant faith. That comes from Jesus alone. This is something that Jesus taught us to do so that we are remembering him. May we be a church that stands on Jesus Christ. May we be believers that stand on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our God and King who gave his life for us. There's an old hymn by Augustus Toplady that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We are believers that Jesus did it. And may we not put any trust or confidence in anything else. Let's pray. Father, Father, Thank you for Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper that we can take part of as a strong reminder. Lord, I pray here today that we would be so encouraged that the work of Christ is for us, for us, for us. And may we remember it and be confidently believing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna ask those that are...